Suey. Is that the, I can't get up high. It's a high one. It's a high one. I can't do it. I wish I could do it. I wish. And I wish that all the wild pigs would come to you when you do say it. They'd come out of their hiding places and they'd get rounded up and put in a pen because that's what we got to do with those wild pigs. And just like the rabbits of Australia, uh, we introduced them here. And, you know, all the pigs in North America are from Europe. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so they have no, they have no compunction about going out in the wild. They don't care because ain't nothing out there attacking or eating them. They have no natural predators. So that's fun. And they also uh, cause devastation. So that's fun. They're eating our environment. We're not going to have to worry about the environment, okay, after the wild pig problem has gotten even further out of hand because there won't be one. <laughs> and you want to watch people leave. Oh, no business here. Yeah, can't grow anything on this land. Can't, uh, can't do anything here. So see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Is that the old, uh, the old adage? And the pigs will leave too, of course, because they like eating things. So... Yeah, we have to we have to find strategies, and of course, our our next our guest on today's show, Ryan Brooke, has strategies, and he knows what the problem is, and he's educating people on how to solve it. And you can't be a Yahoo, you can't be the lone the lone gunman out there trying to collect lunch for you and your family because you're actually exas. Okay, don't use a big word where seven little words will do. You're causing more of a problem by teaching these pigs not to be around where you're shooting them and you can't see them. They're good at hiding. They're good at being nocturnal. They're good at going into um, areas where you won't go, <laughs> even with your quad, bod, uh, muttered, ramrod kind of vehicle. It ain't going to happen. And they are mobile and they breed a heck of a lot faster than you can adapt to what they're doing. So anyway, Ryan Brooke tells us all about that and how to corral this problem before it gets super out of hand. And um, yeah, very, very important. And later on, I'll be talking to a person who, who raises wild boar, but keeps them contained because that was the original intent. So uh, he's somebody who is doing what people started out doing before they just let everything run off into the wild or escape. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So uh, we don't want to look like Australia after the rabbit problem there, do we? I don't think so. I think we have to be smarter than that. So come on, culture. Come on, society. Come on, everybody. Farmers and uh, rural people and city people and governments and conservation and everybody. Just, you know, work together. Round them up. Round them up. That's our mandate. And uh, part of our mandate is to educate people on how to do that. And I'm trying to help in that regard. So here it is. The interview with Ryan Brooke right after this little message. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're talking about pigs today. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I was hoping to get some lowdown on, uh, on the whole wild pigs. Some people call them feral pigs, but that's not correct because feral is a whole different word and uh, right. stuff like that. So, 
Yeah. So I was just curious. Uh, well, could you start off just by giving us a, like a synopsis that, that starts out by describing um, what what they are and what they do? Sure. So here in Canada, there are no uh, native pigs of any kind. So if you see something around it running around in the wild that's, uh, that looks like a pig and snorts like a pig, then it's, a, it's an invasive wild pig that is not native to Canada. And that covers a broad range. We use wild pig almost exclusively because it captures the broad range of the types of pigs you can see out on the landscape. And, and that can include a lot of animals that look like wild boar. Mm-hmm. And that really st- that started in Canada in the 1980s. Wild boar were actually brought in from Europe to be raised on farms, primarily for meat production. In some provinces, um, there were also these high fence shoot farms as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, mainly, it was for meat production, and so they were all, all of the provinces in Canada at least dabbled in it. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, the Prairie provinces went into it quite heavily. And so through the 80s and 90s, these farms were established to hold these animals inside and, and again, to feed you know high-end local restaurants, but also um, to be shipped to primarily to Asia for a, for a market. Hmm. So that increased dramatically through the 80s and 90s. And then by 2001, the market had effectively uh, hit its peak and then it collapsed badly from there. And while those animals were on farms, there was quite a bit of uh, escape. Unfortunately, a lot of people also weren't making money, and so they just cut the fence and let them go. And that was has been a real problem across the prairie provinces primarily. And a lot of people said, well, come on, there's no way they're ever going to survive a, a cold Manitoba winter. I mean, literally, Ford brings their F-150s up here every year in the winter to see if they can survive the worst conditions. And, you know, and so, so obviously this is harsh winter, but of course these animals are extremely large. And part of the reason they're so big is that when they were brought onto farms, they were actually hybridized with domestic pig on purpose Mm. to get a little bit better of uh, a little less gamey taste, but also you get a bigger animal, you get a larger litter size. And you get bigger young per litter. And so virtually everything that you'll see outside of a fence in Canada and running around rural Manitoba is a wild boar domestic pig hybrid. We will occasionally see some pink pigs uh, that escaped or released from a farm. It's pretty rare. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing potbelly pigs from the pet industry. But right now, it's almost exclusively wild boar domestic pig hybrids. And these things can range from little wee piglets that are three or four pounds up to, you know, the biggest one we've handled was 638 pounds. Oh, and wow. so they can be extremely large. They're good sized animals and they're, they have various colors. We've seen some that are pitch black, some that are primarily wild boar looking, which is sort of a gray brown mottled color. Uh, but they can be quite reddish for um, many of the hybrids are spotted. And we've seen gray, brown, and indeed some that have patches are entirely pink as well. So a whole range of colors and shapes and sizes. But hmm. they are quite distinctive as a pig. Of course, that snout is pretty clear, and hmm. that oinking and snorting they make is quite distinctive. And because they have short legs, they're also pretty obvious in the snow in the winter because they leave a belly drag mark. In moderate snow, Deer, elk, moose have these long stilt-like legs, and so they walk mm. through the snow and away they go. Pigs 
have fairly long legs for a pig, but uh, but they do leave this belly drag in the snow as they go. So they're fairly characteristic. Okay. So that's sort of the the story of how we got here now to 2022 is that, yeah, these escapes and especially the releases of just letting animals go. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the major factors that makes them the worst large ma- invasive large mammal on the planet is this incredible reproductive capacity. They have six young per litter. They could certainly have multiple litters per year. And so, you know, your average deer, elk, and moose, three would be quite unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, Elk only have one per year at most. Twins are virtually unheard of. And here we have Hmm. uh, wild pigs that are having, you know, six to 12 young per year on average. Um, So huge reproductive output. They live in almost any habitat. They survive winters quite well. They... They tunnel under the snow is one of the main effective ways they get away from the extreme cold, but they're very large-bodied and they're very hairy. Mm-hmm. So they survive uh, winters quite well, and they will eat virtually anything. They'll destroy <laughs> agricultural crops. They'll eat uh, sometimes, you know, it's almost a mystery box. When you open up a stomach of one of these, sometimes they're full of frogs, huh. salamanders, uh, grain, canola, wheat, barley, uh, oh, no dead deer. Yeah. They, they, a true omnivore, they will uh, eat uh, deer fawns in the spring. They can take down an adult white-tailed deer. They'll eat any kind of roadkill, like any kind of dead carcasses. The stinkier, the better for pigs. They yeah. have an amazing sense of smell. And so they'll smell any rotting grain or rotting carcasses, and huh. they'll just cobble those up as well and from, from mice. And unfortunately, as we're getting into spring here, one of the things that's a real uh, concerning impact is that they actually go around and find nests and they gobble up eggs and they eat ducklings and oh. goslings and little baby chicks. And so they have this huge impact on the environment as well. So we don't have to worry about the aliens. It's going to be the uh, the wild pigs. It's the pigs, exactly. No, yeah. they are a very major threat to ecosystems. You know, the U.S., they lose about $2.5 billion per year in agricultural crop damage. Wow. Um, and then, of course, disease. Their potential to spread disease is quite legendary as well. And so that's a point of mm-hmm. very serious concern. And they do more damage environmentally than most species because a deer or an elk will come through and, and feed away on the grasses and then move on. Mm-hmm. Pigs go in and they get their nose under the ground. They have these huge, super mm-hmm. strong necks and these big, long noses. They yeah. dig their nose in the ground, and they root, and they yeah. tear up the ground. So yeah. the roots are gone then, like the plants not coming back. Well, that's it. They tear up the yeah. roots, the insect larvae out of there, but then when they leave, it looks like a rototiller went through. It just tears it up, and so the recovery can be many years to start to see some recovery. So Do you, lose, do you absolutely... also lose soil that way too, like the wind will blow the soil away and all that? Yeah, you can have erosion, and then the other concern is it opens up the bare soil for invasive plant species, leafy Mm. spurs, and these sorts of things to move in. So a whole range of risks and impacts that these pigs come with. And as I say, I mean, many, including me, say that they are literally the worst invasive large mammal on the planet. Some people have tried to correct me and say that humans might be the worst, but Donald in terms Trump. of, uh, Donald Trump, in terms of, <laughs> Donald Trump, there you go. Invasive yeah. species. <laughs> yeah. Lots of invasive there and lots of destruction, but yeah, but yeah, no, in terms of wildlife, there's still question they're the worst. They're just absolutely terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, I grew up on a, a small farm and we had some pigs and you know, they'd be on the corral or whatever. We saw what they would, you know, it was just mud, you know, yeah. they liked it to keep cool in the summer and stuff, but yeah, they didn't. There was nothing. 
you know, even the chicken pen, like took the chickens maybe a month to get that down to dirt, but pigs worked real fast. I remember mm. once we had them in a big enclosure. It was quite, I don't even know how big, like pretty big. And uh, the next year we grew potatoes in there because they'd rooted everything and fertilized that whole thing. And that was the wow. most, most potatoes I'd ever seen grow. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're just like a, and I've seen things on YouTube. Like you say, they, people say, oh, you want a garden? Just get a temporary fence, put them up, put your pigs in there. No problem. They'll road, yep. If you don't want to run a rototiller and use gas and stuff, if you want to go green, do just put some pigs in there and you can watch firsthand what they do. As long as you can keep them inside a fence, even domestic yeah. pigs will try and get out and they gnaw on oh. things and pull on things. And When we would put oh, them yeah. in the truck, like just getting them out of the barn door into a truck up a ramp, if they saw a speck of daylight, like around the plywood and stuff, we'd put, they would just bam, they would hit that hard. Like they didn't care. It was just, let me out, let me out. That was their mo- their whole motive was just, I want to get out, period. Absolutely. And we did have one got away and we had one get oh. away and it was running around and, uh, you know, okay, graphic moment here, kids. But but we had to get it. Like, uh, it was in the pasture under trees and shrubs. And their neighbors were there helping. And somebody did shoot it with the twenty two, And I think they're going for the heart, but they, I think they missed. That pig was still running and squealing. And, it, like, it, they're hard to take down, you know, that way. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. They're a, they're a nightmare when they're in the wild and established, for sure. And of course, these wild pigs—they—they're very nocturnal. Mm-hmm. And the more they get shot at and harassed and chased, the more they become nocturnal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is why sport hunting doesn't work for them to reduce or eliminate populations. Is because yes, hunter success is actually shockingly low. We've been yeah. amazed at how few of our collars—we put GPS collars on animals for five years in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, part B, we, you know, we've been just amazed at how uh, few have actually been shot by hunters. And so hunters shoot at them and they might kill one or two, but it seems that almost completely they actually mm-hmm. uh, get very, they, almost unheard of to get a whole sounder group. Yeah. And so those that survive then become purely nocturnal. They hide under the heaviest, ugliest riparian cover and get into big, huge slough wetlands and, and hang out there and, just yeah. uh, just amazing. So yeah, they're they're smart, they're nocturnal, they will eat almost anything and they mm. just switch and they will basically I, I have to think of it like that uh, predator movie where the predator sees everything in the colors and I think of a pig just scanning the landscape, finding the most calories they can. They're remarkable at that. Yeah, and they, they become like that book was a watership down where they say, Oh, there's the man with the stick. Or, you know, because the guy smoked yeah. cigarettes or whatever they call it, that's the man with the stick. And they knew him. So the pigs probably mm-hmm. see somebody with a pointy gun and they're like, oh, there's a man with a stick. Get Let's get out of here. And, but yeah, yeah so exactly. they're, they're like a virus. They adapt and they just, it just gets more and more invasive. I, it was funny because mm-hmm. Drudge Report actually this uh, past, I think, Friday, put up a story uh, from California they linked to. And it's one of the rangers down there, uh, conservation officers. And they, there was a whole story was about exactly this and how they're saying down there, it's not going to be long before they upset the whole ecology that we rely mm. on. So, yeah. Yep. Their, their impacts are truly tremendous. And, uh, and, and in, and Manitoba has a long history of that. In fact, and mm-hmm. one of the problems that happened in Manitoba, as you may know, is in fact that it wasn't 
uh, animals uh, escaping on purpose. But in fact, uh, during the flood of the century yes. in 97, yeah. uh, a number of wild pigs just floated out. They're incredibly good swimmers. And mm-hmm. there is, uh, there were several farms that flooded really badly and the mm-hmm. pigs literally just, yeah. just floated out past and were, were gone with the current. And, well, I remember, and of course, because they're such good swimmers, they did very, very well. Yeah. I remember somebody was talking to a, uh, boy, Lockport area or somewhere farther up who was saying that, yeah, the, like different, uh, authorities were running around trying to shoot them as fast as they could because of the pro the problem they were going to pose. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that's how crazy it was. It was they're just the gov- the government was like, okay, you gotta you gotta go take these pigs out now before they get out there. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And so yeah, and and they, you know Manitoba was quite proactive on this actually, and uh, and created a wild boar control zone along before anybody else was really talking about or doing it. And so they did a number of things, but one of the issues that's happened in Manitoba is that. There was a fairly large population became established in Spruce Woods, and that mm-hmm. is currently the hotspot for wild pigs in Manitoba okay. by a major factor. Um, and so, and what we're seeing now is that pigs are dispersing out of that core zone, and mm-hmm. so they're reproducing in in and around the Spruce Woods, and they're spreading up towards Riding Mountain. They're heading south as far as the U.S. border. Wow. And of course, uh, west uh, all the way along the Saskatchewan border. Yeah. And Saskatchewan has a far bigger problem, a uh, wild pig problem, than, than Manitoba does. And so transboundary mm-hmm. movements are also a uh, concern. So, yeah, and, and, and here, of course, we can hunt them year round. Uh, but like you say, they're nocturnal. I remember reading a book uh, a ranger down in the Blue Mountains wrote, and he said when he was. He first started with that outfit. Uh, he was just a kid going in for like summer work, and they paired him up with this uh, this guy they hired freelance to go and kill wild boars. And and, it, and he said, he had to go out at night with the guy, and the guy gave him this lamp and said, "Okay, it's a battery lamp, and when I te- when I say you know on, you turn it on." And uh, and he said his very first experience with them was he they were sitting out there all quiet, and then the guy goes, "Turn it on," and he and he flashes this lamp on and he sees like 20 wild boars like running directly at them <laughs> and he freaked oh, out and he, he, he went he started moving backwards and he fell off this little cliff thing and everything oh, the light goes off and the guy's like blam blam in the dark but he's oh, he's, he's telling the kid he's like what are, what are you doing and i told you to hold the lamp because like you told me that was what's gonna be coming at me <laughs> And he said, but it was, so then after that, he got more used to it and then he worked the whole summer, but he said, yeah, that was the only way they had to go at night. They had to use lamp hunting. And of course now in Manitoba, that, that, that was made illegal, right? This past few years. And, um, so if you can't hunt at night and you can't, and they live and they're, and they're active at night, like, how do you, and like, is this where the traps come in where you, uh, you try and, you know, just sort of instead of hunting them and, and making them adapt and making them harder to get, is this where you say, okay, well, we'll just bait them and hope they come into uh, one of our traps on their own and then capture them that way? That is one tool in the toolbox. And certainly I would say that I think most people in the U, I mean, the U.S. has something like a little bit more than 7 million wild pigs. Um, Australia has well over 17 million. I mean, there are a lot of places that have been struggling with this for a while. And I think one of the, yeah, 
<laughs> oh boy. But but the but I would say that trapping can be successful for finding removing sounders. But if that's all you're doing, then I would say the likelihood of success is zero. Mm -hmm. That you need a toolbox full of tools, mm -hmm. and you need to use every one of those tools. Uh, I think that's really, really important. Is this where you trap them and then you give them some kind of virus that affects pigs and then let them back out to spread it around or something? Or does it just ex well, exacerbate, sorry, words, <laughs> my word, exasperate mm. the problem? Yeah, there hasn't been any real discussion I'm aware of, at least certainly in Canada, about using some kind of virus. Part of the problem, of course, is that uh, domestic pigs are the exact same species as wild pigs, so you have to be very, very careful. Right. Blowback, that you right? don't get something, yeah. you can imagine a, a, a large-scale pork producer all of a sudden getting <laughs> infected with some sort of nasty virus that yeah. kills pigs. And, and then so, blaming the government. So that, yeah. Yeah. well, possibly, yes. But certainly, I mean, these ground traps are these large panel traps, and they are set up in these big circles. And the idea is to, to bait in an entire sounder group mm -hmm. and take them all out. So you have trail cameras out, you they're coming to feed at this one spot. You say, okay, okay, I know from the cameras there's 11 pigs. Mm -hmm. And then you set up this trap, and then you have a special gate. And ideally, the good ones are the ones that are attached to your phone, and you can trigger with your phone. Okay. Yeah. So your phone, your phone signals you and says there's activity at this trap, and all of a sudden real-time video comes up on your phone, and you're watching video, and sure enough, yes, there's pigs coming in. Mm -hmm. And there's a little button where you can trigger it, and you're watching the video, and you're counting. You say, okay, I know there's 11, mm -hmm. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then when the 11th one comes in, mm -hmm. boom, hit the button, and you take out 11 at once. And that's, that's what we call whole sounder or entire sounder removal. Right. And uh, that is a big, a big factor for sure in terms of – of being able to find and remove animals. Okay. Uh, not all animals will go into a trap. You find like a nine, 10 year old female that's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. She survived that long because she was very, very smart mm -hmm. and uh, may not go into traps. So you cannot rely on a single method. Also traps are hard, you know, they're a bit hard to move. So if say you have a, a river valley that's heavily oaked, um, say uh, in Southwestern Manitoba where you have lots of pigs, Mm -hmm. and you want to trap some, well, you can't just roll a great big trap down the hill into this wild country. And so right. uh, you can snare them. There are also has been success here in Saskatchewan with, uh, with uh, ground shoot teams. These are not hunters. The goal is not to fill the freezer. In fact, these, mm -hmm. this group, uh, they do not use the meat at all, and they will not share the meat. The idea is they call themselves the eradication team mm -hmm. and they go in on snowmobiles in the winter and if they know there's eight animals they do not stop until all eight are removed yeah and 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 with most eradication strategies if you find 11 and shoot seven then you basically wasted everybody's time and energy and have accomplished nothing just yeah. because of that high reproductive rate and the, yeah because there's going to be six more six more six more all year long yeah and one of the challenges is what I often refer to as the Yahoo factor. And we've run into this with our program where, you know, all it takes is one person to wreck it. And for example, we were flying a, a small airplane, Cessna, uh, spotting pigs one day to go into, to capture the next 
okay, well, somebody had seen that plane, and then that evening they went out with snowmobiles and went through all the spots we'd identified and, oh. and shot it up and chased it up, and that can be a real problem for ground traps as well. They say, oh, yeah, well, somebody's setting up a ground trap there. There must be pigs around or they wouldn't be bothered. And right. so they come in at night and they blast away and shoot anything that's coming to bait, and, and then you're done. If you've got yeah. animals that get shot at a trap site, you pick everything up, tear it all down mm-hmm. and look for another site. And ideally in a perfect world, you have ideally perhaps dozens or many dozens of traps all going at once. And, mm-hmm. and, but that is a ton of work. I mean, a lot of this is, is work occurring at night and a lot of things that are, uh, you know, that, uh, can be a real challenge in order to pull this off. And so traps can be very useful and they can capture animals, but they're probably, once you get to a situation where we are now, where we've got pretty well-established pigs, mm-hmm. um, you need, and especially one of the things that's interesting about Manitoba is that in that southwest area around Spruce Woods, that's where the large majority of pigs are. But we have occurrences all over. For example, we had one last summer, a friend of mine called me and said, you know what, you won't believe this, but... I just hit a pig near Nudimick Lake in the white shell. Oh, wow. And that's, that's of course, almost as yeah. east as you can get in, in Manitoba. And yeah. so there there have been a number of sightings up at uh, Pinawab, uh, Nudimick Lake. Uh, Bozizer has had, historically, Bozizer had a real problem. They've sort of cleared it up a number of years ago, but there seem to still be a few animals hanging around. So, so you know, the southern half of, of Manitoba has sightings spread around very broadly but that means that you know it'd be a lot easier if it was all contained mm-hmm. in one area and but guess, it isn't at this point i guess they're smart like uh i heard stories of hunters they would say oh that old buck he knows he's down in spruce woods and he knows where you know almost exactly where the line is of the park where we can't shoot him and he knows not to come on this side so when he crosses it's crosses the road it's, it's a specific place so I guess the pigs too, like that would be part of their knowledge base. They're not getting shot at in a in a provincial park, because that's just not going to happen. So, oh yeah, it's amazing how they know where they're safe and know where they're not safe. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's our own rules that kind of, you know, it, it's fascinating how well we set up rules for rules. So you know, but it's mm-hmm. also how you know they just take advantage of that and and use them against us in a way. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and we, we saw that with, uh, I did a lot of work from a PhD in Riding Mountain National Park, and we had tons of collared elk, and, and those animals, about two to three weeks before uh, hunting season started, they would just make a huge move back into Riding Mountain Park. Yeah. And we we actually saw a wolf kill a white-tailed deer and drag it hmm. over into the park to eat it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So these animals know those boundaries like crazy. So yeah, yeah it's a... Uh, it's really complex and hard. Like this, you know, I think that it's, I think everybody, including myself, start into wild pigs relatively naive. Mm-hmm. And we also come in with our, you know, our knowledge from other systems. And so from managing white tailed deer and elk mm-hmm. and moose and caribou, but pigs, you, th- you almost have to throw all of that thinking away. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of start fresh in a sense because things are so complicated and those, reproductive rates are so high that one of the things I've been a very vocal advocate of for a long time, but no government has really shown interest in yet is um, a combination of two things, ground traps and helicopter capture. Those we've, uh, those are highly complementary, and that the traps are 
are mobile, but it mm-hmm. takes a lot of time and energy to move them. And, right. you know, there's hundreds of pounds of gear and, mm-hmm. and it takes usually weeks of baiting before we even start setting up the trap. And mm-hmm. so it's super complex. Whereas a helicopter, you know, it could literally fly 150 kilometers an hour and just cover, you know, you hundreds of kilometers in a day, mm-hmm. putting on lots and lots of miles and can be very targeted and you can spot them from the air super effectively. And so, Two things that are highly complementary are helicopter capture and these ground traps. And so, uh, oh. you know, so helicopter, you're you're spotting them and then shooting them. Uh, we don't. We uh, capture we capture them with a net. Oh, okay. So you're dropping a net yep. on them. Okay. Yeah, you can do that. It's yeah. not so much drop as fired. It really oh, okay. launches out of there. Yeah. Yeah. This is truly a net gun in the sense okay. that uh, there are. Um, what was I going to say? Um, mm. They are so the net has heavy weights, and the weights go into tubes, and this is launched out of a actual uh, uh, high-powered rifle. Okay. And but it's with blanks, and when the blank goes off, it sends those weights flying. And yeah. so the idea is actually to launch it so it opens up like a big giant bed sheet right. in front of the animal, and they run into it, and so their their lower legs get caught in the bottom of the net in their head, and then they we catch it. We catch them during snow time. Okay. And they just roll in the snow and and are completely uh, subdued and 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 uh, hung down. So, so that's a great way to capture them. What do you do with and them that after way, that? Like, well, that... it depends on depends on the nature of the project. What we have done uh, because we're a university research program, mm-hmm. we have um, we've captured them and collared them and let them go. Mm-hmm. And we've done experiments with what's called the Judas pig. So you find <laughs> a wild pig, right. you, you collar it, let it go. And then you can track it. Right. They can run, but they can't hide. Those satellite trackers have a, literally yeah. have a satellite phone built into each one. And they phone us three or four times a day or more and send us the exact location of where those animals are. So we can do that, um, for, uh, to refine the, and then that will find other groups for us. So mm-hmm. you you call her a male and let it go, and it will spend most of its time wandering around the landscape mm-hmm. looking for other females. And mm-hmm. and these so-called sounder groups are mostly led by a mature female, and then her several generations of offspring um, that that you know that stick around, mostly females, and they almost always have babies because mm-hmm. these animals are reproducing continuously. They're having babies throughout the year. So there isn't really a breeding season. They right. just find a mate, uh, have, you know, three months, three weeks, three days is the, huh. is the gestation period that occurs. The babies are born. Wow. We don't really have a great handle on weaning here in Canada, but it's probably less than a month. Yeah. Those young get weaned and then immediately another male will show up or the same male meet uh, mate and they'll be pregnant again. So they're almost continuously pregnant. And how long and until a, a newborn is, is able to reproduce? Well, that depends a lot on habitat. And so here in Canada, they have pretty, where they are <clears throat> currently, they have pretty broad exposure to agricultural crops. So we think it's faster than usual. They become sexually mature about the same time they, when they're born, they have these horizontal cream colored stripes and they start to fade away. Mm-hmm. And about the time those stripes are gone at about five or six months, wow. then they become reproductively uh, capable. They may, it may be closer to a year before they breed, but probably six to eight months is when they're going to start to start to uh, reproduce. So hmm. that's, 
Uh, so you start to do the math, right? You have yep. one female sow dumped in your backyard. Mm-hmm. She has six young, uh, three months, three, three days, has mm-hmm. six young, uh, weans those, has more. There's no, there's virtually no predators on the agricultural landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Any that we had are now mostly yeah. gone. Yeah. So we don't have much for wolves, wolves and black bears across most of the current range of wild pigs. And so there, and even when there are predators, we don't think that predation is a huge factor because you get these enormous uh, groups all with razor sharp tusks, you mm-hmm. know, basically massive steak knives strapped to their face. And they're wow. super, they can be very, very aggressive. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it, the predation rates are low. So survival is quite high. And uh, so you have six young, six young, six young, six young, four times on average. So 24 in two years. Mm-hmm. And by the end of two years, a good chunk of those are already reproducing on their yeah. own and having their own young. And so, you know, we we, uh, we actually had a provincial park here very close to the Manitoba border called Moose Mountain Provincial Park. Okay. And they think that about seven animals probably went in there. And after a couple of years, there was over a hundred. So the, the potential for them to explode is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of our blowback too, where the governments and the, and the farmers and the ranchers are all like, oh, we got to get rid of these predators. Let's go and, you know, poison coyotes and shoot uh, wolves and okay, we got them all out. And then boom, here's your blowback. Something that you can't even get a handle on. And it's eating your yeah, lunch. And, like it's it's not just hanging out eating the other wildlife and stuff. This is this is going right into your lunch pail. And it's just saying, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you got in here, pal? So yeah, we're not the smartest species, I don't think. We're a predator species, an apex species, <laughs> but we're not the the we're not the brightest, I don't I the more the more you live, the longer you the more years you put in looking around, it's like, yeah, not the we don't really got a handle on this. So Absolutely. Well and the the biggest issue with pigs, like like a forest fire or a house fire, is you have to be quick. And mm-hmm. the cornerstone of all management of any invasive species is you have to detect them quickly mm-hmm. and you have to act very aggressively and immediately. And so we know if you look out your window right now and you see your neighbor's house on fire, mm-hmm. you will you know exactly what to do. There's no contemplation, no thinking within half a second you pick up your phone you dial 911 mm-hmm. you report it and the professionals come and do it yeah. and that's really the the probably the only path forward for a successful wild pig eradication is essentially adopting that 911 methodology mm-hmm. where people because a lot of people right now don't know we have pigs in Canada mm-hmm. and a huge number of people know we have pigs, but don't yeah. know that it's a huge crisis. Yeah. Like, so what? Eat and, them. They must taste good. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, or just saw it and went, wow, that's cool. Yeah. They might tell their buddies at coffee row or they might tell their family, but, mm-hmm. but nobody knows that, you know, like we know that if you even see a bit of smoke coming out of the neighbor's window or whatever, we're, yeah. we're going to act on it. And so people need to be aware of this and they also have to be, uh, you know, made aware of the fact that this is a big deal and we need to know it right away. And then we have to have an actual response mm-hmm. and uh, be able to go in there and find and remove those. And I don't know if you saw in the news at Christmas time, uh, just before Christmas, there was a group of 14 wild pigs found in the greater Toronto area, believe it mm-hmm. or not, in the oh, suburban yeah. area right. um, near Pickering, uh, Ontario. And these darn things were running around wild. And so those got reported and 
then people came and uh, set up traps and caught them and removed them all. And mm-hmm. so that was a success story. Yeah. Not a lot mm-hmm. of those out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's Absolutely. crazy. So, and, and uh, so if, if you go, they eat anything, you find them with anything in their stomachs, et cetera, et cetera. So if somebody um, is hunting them and are they hunting them sometimes for food and are they good to eat? Yeah, I love people love to hunt them because I mean it hits it ticks a lot of boxes for hunters that you know for one there's no cost of a license so you mm-hmm. and there's no bag limits and there's you no just need season, your hunter so. safety right and your pal for your gun That's safety right. and then off you off you go and just don't hunt at night right yeah you have yeah. to follow hunting rules like you obviously wouldn't shoot across a highway or mm-hmm. shoot at night or, or so yeah vehicle, you have to follow like that. follow yeah. all those safety precautions and regulations mm-hmm. but. But outside of that, it's effectively open season. And so if you wanted to go kill 300 pigs this year and wanted to devote your life to it, you could do that at, you know, no actual cost of licenses. And the other thing is people do call them the poor man's grizzly because uh, unlike most wildlife, when you shoot at them, they will actually uh, may charge you. They can mm-hmm. be dangerous. And so people, some people get quite excited about that. Okay. and uh, the challenge and of it, right? yeah. the challenge and the danger in that and so it's because you know shooting white-tailed deer may not necessarily get your heart pumping that much mm-hmm. they they of course they just run away and they they flip their tail up and race away and they're scared like hell so mm-hmm. so yeah i think that uh i think that the hunters love them they can taste good um ma- intact males that have not been castrated uh do have will have that boar taint Okay. and can be quite terrible so a mature male is probably not tasty but mm-hmm. uh the other ones if they're cooked properly and you know you want to cook them well just because of concerns of uh parasites or disease or whatever which there hasn't really been much found but nobody's really been looking that mm-hmm. well either and right. so so basically what i do is i just cook it well and uh, it's uh, quite nice to eat but again sport hunting is not only not as not helpful in reducing or eradication mm-hmm. eradicating populations it actually does make the problem worse because right. you see a group of 10 you shoot at them with a high power rifle you scare them up you kill two or three you go put those in your freezer and that's exciting yeah but those that survive have been spread across the landscape and possibly broken up into subgroups and so mm-hmm. you get dispersed they become more nocturnal they become uh, more elusive and then it's so much harder to find and remove them so the real hunter so, would would choose traps, or they would use different ways to try and ground up the whole, what you call the sounder group, and then yeah, you could eat them, and then does. you'd be happy to to pick out the ones for food and and things yep. like that. Yeah, and that's a great yeah, that's a great point exactly. So you trap a group of eleven, and then you cherry pick the ones you want. You might give some to your buddies, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of debate about whether we should be sharing meat or not. Uh, you know, on one hand, you do, never want to waste meat and mm-hmm. And that's certainly, I think everybody has been trained, you know, that that's, that's, uh, completely normally would be unacceptable with deer, elk, moose or fish or anything else is that you would share, you would only harvest what you need and all of Mm -hmm. that. And I think most of us are taught that at a young age or hopefully are, Mm -hmm. but, um, but the problem with pigs is then you start sharing that around and people get a taste of more hunters and more hunters means more problems. So yeah so it's complex so you have to educate the hunter and say okay look don't just go and shoot one just for you know to satisfy a table somewhere go and go and round up the whole group do it properly work with you know i guess they could even work with Mm -hmm. you guys right like as far as um 
telling you what's going on in their area. And they can say, okay, yep. we, we've, we found pigs here. We're going to, you know, maybe they'd look to you also for advice on what kind of trap to use or bait. And then they'd be encouraged to do it properly and then go, go from there with the meat. Right. And yeah. as far as I understand, I think you will need a permit from the province to trap. Right. You, and I always encourage people, you know, I'm not a legal expert on any of this stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm an ecologist. So, so, you know, always, always, always before you try something, right. um, talk to your local conservation officer and get, they'll tell you mm-hmm. what you need in terms of permits and stuff. If you want to hunt them, as you say, you don't need a license and, and you can hunt year out and all that stuff, but uh, if you want to trap them, then you will require permits and other things. And, and it is, they are hard to find. I get lots of people that call me and say, hey, I want to hunt a pig. I want one. And then they call me back and yell at me because they didn't find one or whatever. And they say, uh, and I've heard lots of people literally call me up and say, Ryan, this is ridiculous. You've got all these maps. There's no wild pigs in Saskatchewan. <laughs> And I said, well, I tell you what, there's four collared animals living in your back 40 right now. Yeah. And they'll be like, no. Hey, no I went out at lunchtime and I didn't see one. <laughs> and I'd go back exactly. to work. So now it's your fault. <laughs> well, exactly. And, yeah. and hunters are fond of saying, yeah, I drove around 50 miles. I drove 60 miles. I never saw a pig. And I said, yeah. well, that might work for whitetails, but that does not work <laughs> for pigs at all. They're in the bush. They're hiding. you got to go get out and push bush and run yeah. trail cameras and bait. And, that and you got to be upwind too, because they'll smell you, right? These things. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Incredibly smart, incredibly difficult to harvest. So so yeah. I get a lot of big talk from hunters and a lot of, yeah, tell me where they are and we'll fix your problem. But the reality mm-hmm. is that's not how it works at all. I'm going to be talking to um, a fellow up near Arburg who is actually raising wild boar for meat. And, um, and it's, uh, what was I going to say about that? Because, uh, cause you're talking about, yeah, just the smell of them. Oh yeah. Cause they can smell so good. And, um, mm-hmm. and I said, Oh yeah, I'd love to come up and just eyeball them and, you know, see that and do an interview. And, and he said, well, we don't really bring strangers into the farm because they'll smell you and your strange smell. And they will go wild. He says they're like a, a bear or something. They'll just, and he says they, and it'll take them a long time to calm down. And by then they've hurt themselves. They've hurt our fence. They, you know, a lot of damage can be done. So he's like, so I'll send you a video. He said, and I was like, okay, that, oh, wow. you know, that's fine. But, you know, but he's, he's like, yeah, like these are the pure wild boars. And, uh, and he's, he's like, yeah, they're, they can get crazy. So they have to be in a, an environment where they know what's going on and they feel secure. So, so I guess if you're out with I, your gun hunting them or they hear your truck or they hear your snowmobile or they, or they even smell you coming, like they, they'd be gone. They just, they're not going to hang around. Absolutely. And you know, uh, when I was getting into this, I had the same thought as you, and this was back in 2010 and there was a farm just outside of Saskatoon and I went out there and he said, you know, these animals are super tame and calm, so you can come right in. I'm in, in there every single day. Mm-hmm. And so if you and your students want to come inside, you can't. So we open the fence, we come in. I mean, born and raised on a farm. Yeah. I'm not too afraid of animals. Mm-hmm. And we're, I'm starting to take pictures. And he said, oh, by the way, I should have told you that if anybody picks up any piglets, then every animal in this fence will be on top of you right now. Oh, wow. 
Um, and so, yeah, they will basically kill you. So, so even at that point, like even if they're you, they they can get over smelling something strange, there's still yeah. there's still things that are going to trigger them. Still super potentially super aggressive, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean that wow. that tells you a lot about the species. And you know, I know a a guy was deer hunting uh, just south of Spruce Woods there a couple of years ago. And I guess these pigs probably feed on the gut piles that hunters leave. And so okay. when they hear the gun, so he shot a deer. <laughs> so they come running. And, and like pigs, he set his gun down <laughs> on the tailgate of his truck and he's skinning this bloody deer. And all, and it's getting dark and these bloody oh. pigs start running right at him. Wow. And so he shot a couple and wounded one. And then the last one, I guess, turned around and ran away. But uh, but they can be scary and they yeah. and they can and do charge. We know that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we've had a number of cases here in Canada. Uh, it's mostly hunters, but I also know someone who, uh, saw, uh, some wild boar in a fence and, and got out to take a picture cause they thought it was really mm-hmm. cool. And as they got closer, they realized the fence actually only had one side. The other three sides were gone or didn't <laughs> exist and, uh, started heading back quickly towards the car and, and the pig actually chased them and they jumped in and slammed the door kind of thing. Wow. So, yeah. So yeah, they can be aggressive and they'll chase people and uh and you know, we've had a couple of incidents with our research where pigs have been quite aggressive with us and, and so it, it is not something to trifle with by any means. Yeah. They are a lot like politicians then after all. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true. <laughs> Crazy. Oh man. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. um so what uh, I guess that covers most of the uh the, the big the big ticket items here of, of uh, getting to know what the issue is and what they're like is there anything specific that you'd like to talk about in relation to the uh, the wild pig situation well certainly a lot of people ask us where are the pigs that's the most common question we get by far and um, and we have we have actually have quite an active uh, Facebook page called Canadian wild pig research project and so okay. if you search that on Facebook, um, you can also follow me at Ryan K. Brook, and uh, we're pretty active on social media. And so mm-hmm. you can, if you go on our Facebook page, you can actually go to the pinned page, the first pinned message at the very top of the page, and you can download interactive maps that show you where all the wild pigs are in Manitoba. Okay, and those and are updated so all the time, like according to you? They're updated. Yep, yeah. updated pretty regularly. And cool. so you can download that and either open it up in Google Earth and move around and look and, and sort of um, zoom in and zoom out and, mm-hmm. and look at where the pigs are in Manitoba or, or add, or you could also port it into the iHunter app on your GPS or okay. phone. And so you can use it there to sort of guide you. And, uh, and so that answers probably the most common question is tell me where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, people have said, well, if people would tell, nobody tells us where they are. Nobody tells us where mm-hmm. they are. We can't deal with it. And I'm saying, well, for the last few years, I've been telling you where they are. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, and, you know, again, hunters are awesome to work with and I love hunters and, mm-hmm. and they've helped me through my career in all sorts of ways. You know, mm-hmm. I've gone to hunters and said, listen, I need a, I need a hundred deer jaws or I need, uh, ears mm-hmm. from wild pigs or, and, and indeed with funding, like when I was in Manitoba uh, doing my research, you know, the hunter groups actually fu- supported our research financially as well. So we have oh, great. lots and lots of great experiences with hunters, but with wild pigs, it's just so different. It, I think, um, and, 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 you know, this is the one unique situation. In most cases, 
for example, the province of Manitoba spends a lot of time and energy flying surveys and trying to estimate how many animals, and then they have these season settings where they have to decide, okay, how many tags are we to give for white-tailed deer in this right. area and, or, or any other species? And they do a good job of that in terms of collecting the data and managing that and sport hunting and the number of licenses. And so, for example, you could have a bulls-only season or you could have an open season or whatever. And so they manage all of that. And, but unfortunately, none of that applies to wild pigs. You don't have a male-only or a female-only season. Mm-hmm. You kill everything you could possibly find and kill, and these mm-hmm. populations still go up. And so that is the challenge. And we hear this lots of times where hunters say, well, we went into an area, we figured there was eight, and we shot five. Mm-hmm. And then we came back the next year, and there was we figured there was about 15, and yeah. we shot a dozen. Yeah. And then the next year, we shot two dozen and yeah. now we think there's more and now we don't even know how many there are there's so many yeah. and so so they keep killing and killing and killing and and one of the things we use a lot is that you can't barbecue your way out of a wild pig problem yeah and that um that you have to have other resources and so if you go to our facebook page you can actually watch a video of us catching pigs with a helicopter um you can see all those maps at different scales and we have them for alberta and uh Saskatchewan as well. So mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of the problem is in the Prairie Provinces. So we've got maps and and lots of papers and research coming out to help sort of inform about this. So yeah, it reminds me of I read a book called Coyote America, I think it was called, and mm-hmm. um, and the guy writing that was he did a real deep dive into coyotes and he said one of the things is when you hear them howling at night and you can hear them all around you and they're all howling and he said they're taking a roll call. And if they hear all of the responding howls, the birth rates will drop dramatically. Whereas if they're doing their roll call howling and they, they're missing a whole bunch of howls because those animals have been poisoned or shot or, you know, the hunters think they're doing a great thing. Oh, we got some coyotes. What happens is the birth rate rises dramatically for that period. And, and then you have all these coyotes again. And so they've been, they've been, it's just been, you know, they're like, oh, we wiped out all the coyotes in that area. And all of a sudden, boom, they're all right back again. And, uh, and you just can't, they can't get a handle on this. So it's the kind of the same yeah. thing with wild boars. It's like, oh, I shot 10. So what did you get? The one that's pregnant, <laughs> you know, because it's going to exactly give birth right. and off they go. And they don't need college funds. Those things, like you say, in eight months, they're having kids, <laughs> you know? They yeah, don't have, they don't have rules and, and setups like we do, where we think if we make paper and write words on papers, then the world's going to work a certain way. Like these things are just nature, and they're they're like that. It's, you know, yeah. hey, well, you guys are debating that over there and trying to get a budget together, or trying to find funding or whatever. <laughs> you know, you know what we're doing. Like we're here just mm-hmm. living life, so it's tough. Yep, absolutely. No, they're an incredible challenge, and. uh but, but certainly, as you say, I mean, you can tell the rookies from the experts because the rookies will talk about the number of animals they removed. Mm-hmm. And that is very much a rookie mistake to say, well, I, I, I caught 100. Oh, you only caught 50, therefore we're twice as effective as you. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is much more complex than that. And Let, indeed, let's run down that hill and have our way with a couple of those heifers. And the, old, many, bull, yeah. and the old bull's like, no, let's walk down and, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's that exact same attitude. It's, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's super complex. Uh, no easy answers, but 
but it is also doable. I mean, there are organizations making some headway here. And, you know, last year, Colorado announced that they were now wild pig free. And so that's a really big positive for sure. Yeah. So it can be done. And how did they do it? Just with traps and and common sense and they just worked on, if they couldn't get, like, I guess if you're watching your trap and and 10 of the 11 walk into it and you're not sure if that 11th is going to be one of those pregnant females, would you just leave that trap alone and you wouldn't shut it? You would just let them wander off until a time when they're all going to wander in? Like it's a real patience game? Yeah, it can be, but it's also a balance of will they ever go in. And so what the U.S. folks do is they actually hire these companies. They hire retired military snipers and put them in the trees with night vision, you know, a $14,000 night vision scope. Right. And uh, and they'll be talking back and forth by radio and saying, okay, I'm going to hit the trap. When you hit it, you knock out the sow that's outside of the fence. Mm -hmm. And often it will be... All of the animals, as I say, except that big mature female that will go in. Right. And and so at the exact same time, so, I hit the button to drop yeah. the trap. Um, the sniper pops the 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 female at the, or or a couple of animals that are outside of the fence, and you get them all. But yes, if you don't have that set up, it, it can be an excruciating problem. But at the same time, if you hit that trap and take out. You know, it's often the young, dumb ones that come in, mm-hmm. but that's what we call easily uh, harvestable surplus. And mm-hmm. so if you're whatever method you're using, if you're just trimming off the young, dumb animals, uh, that will have no population impact. Uh, it's as you you very mm-hmm. rightly point out, you've got to catch those pregnant females or soon to be pregnant females and got to be removing those. Those are the big driver of the population. But certainly if you... But if you also, if you take out the big mature sows and leave the young ones, well, those young ones are going to turn into mm-hmm. mature sows in six months. So, yeah. so you better get on those as well. And so, yeah, really, with very rare exceptions, the notion is that you either get a whole sounder removal or you've just wasted all your time and money and, and accomplished effectively nothing. Wow. Wow. That's such an amazing so, problem. It's so, please, you know, one of the most important things yeah. is people, please report any occurrences that you have. And, and our program will gladly take them. You can report them to me via Twitter. You can find me easily by email. You can find us on our Facebook page. And, uh, you know, our program is called Wild Pig Net. And we're doing a national level. We've been mm-hmm. documenting wild pig sightings here for a long, long time. Um, and we have a database of about 60,000 unique occurrences of wild pigs across Canada. And, uh, and so, you know, sharing yeah. those occurrences is absolutely critical. So it isn't Rambo. This is more Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, that's, that's a fantastic way of putting it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Manitobaville, look for us on social media. Look for us on your podcatchers. Tell your friends anywhere in the world we're available worldwide okay so thank you ryan brook filling us in on the wild pig problem i was always calling it wild boars and i think a lot of other people were too um you know just because that was i don't know if it was the catchy phrase or it gave people a certain image it was an effective one though because it sure sure made me wonder but it's actually the wild pig problem because as ryan pointed out there's all kinds of pigs interbreeding so we're probably creating a new breed out there if you can capture it whole the whole sounder then you can i guess go into business and be that kind of uh of pig breeder 
You can give it your own name. Hey, we could be the Manitobaville breed. Let's do that. Let, I'll bet you they taste good. And we'd find a market for it. I'll bet you. <laughs> we just won't do it in one of those huge operations where it's a little too crazy. We'll do it a little more environmentally, a little more sustainably. Uh, <laughs> because that's how you do things. You get 20 people having small operations instead of one big one. Monoculture is not fun. It's not a lifestyle that anybody wants. So, you know, we're going to help you with that too coming up on the podcast. Like we had promised earlier on, we're going to start talking about how to live a smaller life, how to provide for yourself, how to not have to worry about gas prices and availability from uh, countries and states far away growing your food and what kind of diet you should have, I guess, or need. Um, yeah, when I was growing up, it was the 100-foot diet for the most part. So that's what we do. That's what we did. We don't do that now. <laughs> it's like the 100,000-mile diet. Okay, and everybody's talking about the 100-mile diet. Well, okay, let's let's tune that in. Uh, communities, you can get everything you need in a community. Um, people just doing different types of small agriculture, mixed farming. And you can get it all. You can grow your own. You can raise your own. You can do it. You can do it. Now, many big corporations will say, no, you can't. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be a slave to our prices and our availability. But I'm here to say, nah. Like most Wizard of the Oz situations, it's just a little guy behind a curtain hoping you listen. <laughs> That's all it is. You have the ability. We are the apex predator of the world, so we should be able to do that, I think. We can catch a ball without thinking about all the math. Get a robot to do that. Uh, that ain't going to happen. So there you go. Manitobaville is the word you want to spread on social media, on podcatchers, to your friends, uh, to the website manitobaville.ca. Okay, so there you go. You can make a donation. You can send your word. Tell us what's going on, who we should be talking to in your neck of the woods, and we'll get on that. That's what we do here at the Manitobaville podcast. I'm Angel, signing off. Till next time. All right. So just remember, though, we're copyright 2022. Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.